this, this series, I, I really enjoyed this particular series. And it's not because it's Valentine's Day coming up. And it's not because it's my wife's birthday on Wednesday. I just got just to throw that in there, too. <laughs> I always have to give two gifts, right? You can't just say, hey, well, since your birthday is the 7th, we just combine the gifts, you know, Valentine's Day. But, <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> but imagine if, in a world uh, filled with uh, complexities and challenges, that love stood not as this uh, fleeting sentiment, but this unwavering superpower. Imagine if love was a superpower, right? And it was capable of mending the deepest wounds, restoring broken relationships, and even defying the very limitations of human experience. Imagine a world where love is not bound by imperfections or constrained by the limitations of our humanity. Picture a world where love is so powerful that it can endure rejections, triumph over unfaithfulness, and patiently await our return, much like the divine love that we encounter in the biblical narrative of God. Okay, you know sometimes when you, you love, and if it's not the right way, we leave. But imagine if love waited for us to return. In a world that's hungry for heroes and extraordinary achievements, what if the greatest superpower was not found in the ability to fly or spew web or move mountains? but in the capacity to love relentlessly. What if you had this superpower, the superpower to love? What if you had the capacity to love others relentlessly? What if you had the capacity to love yourself despite the imperfections that comes with being human? Imagine that. Uh, through Christ, we all have this capacity to love relentlessly. We have the capacity to love others when they don't demonstrate the same love. And the reason why we have this capacity is because Christ lives in us. But it requires us to activate this desire to demonstrate this kind of love. So today, we're going to start this journey through the minor prophets with a story that embodies uh, the essence of unfailing love, which is the title for this series, Unfailing Love. And what we'll discover in this series is that it's God's commitment to redeeming humanity. Now, we won't um, cover every minor prophet um, in this series, but each week we're going to look at a few uh, different prophets. Each week we'll dedicate that to different prophets, to unravel this story of God's unwavering love. Now, let me also tell you that we're not doing an exegetical approach to this. So we're not going to be picking it verse by verse. But what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to remove the stories that God wants his people to hear. And so today's focus is on the prophet Hosea. Hosea, his life serves as a living illustration of 
the challenges, sacrifices, and redeeming power of love. And if you're like a preacher, you love finding a prophet who has illustrations. I believe that God gives preachers families so we can find illustrations. I get a chance to talk about my wife and my sons. It's a blessing from God. But these 12 minor prophets include Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. These minor prophets are also known as the 12 prophets because 12 minor prophets close the books of the Old Testament. Not a mystery, right? But the distinction between major and minor prophets is based on the length of their writings, not the importance of their message. So it's really about the length. So if you look at like Isaiah, you'll see that it's a long book, and Jeremiah. But these prophets have some shorter chapters and verses. Uh, these prophets often overlooked, they played a pivotal role in shaping the moral compass of the Israelites, and by extension, can guide us today. They played an important uh, role in shaping the religious consciousness of the Israelites. Now, one of the reasons that I love the Old Testament is that when Israel sinned, they knew that God would send a leader to bring correction. Now, I know not everyone liked to have someone to bring correction, but there's always a given. Uh, but, but now that we have grace, we don't know what it's like to have this reverential fear of God, or fear for God, I should say. So instead of seeing grace as an opportunity to, to draw closer to God, we see it as our in case of emergency. Now, but you won't appreciate the God of the New Testament until you meet the God of the Old Testament. So Hosea's story demonstrates God's enduring love for his people and a powerful image of the length to which God will go to restore a broken relationship. So that's my spill to introduce this new series, right? Now, here let me set the setting for today's teaching. There are some people in this world and maybe in this room who have been in relationships where they were faithful and the other person was unfaithful, but they loved them too much to end the relationship. Now, I won't ask if any of you have been there before, but there are people who have been in, in those situations. You're faithful, the other is unfaithful, but you're like, I really love you. I don't want to end this relationship. That's the book of Hosea. The book of Hosea tells that story, a story about a troubled marriage, but this story gives us a clue concerning Jesus coming to rescue us. Now, this story, let me make this disclaimer, it's not an argument about whether a Christian should remain married to someone who's unfaithful. That's not the purpose of this story. This story, uh, in the book of Hosea, it shows us that our relationship with God is like a marriage, but it's not perfect, but because of our imperfection. In our imperfection, and even in our inability to be faithful, God fixed this relationship even though it cost him a lot. 
We don't have the capacity or ability to fix the imperfections in our lives. We can try all day long. We don't have that capacity. But as we surrender our lives to Jesus, his righteousness shines through our imperfection. Psalm 51 and verse 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. David acknowledges the sin nature that's inherent to all of us as humans from birth. We have this from birth because of the fallen state of humanity. So we need forgiveness. We're born into a world already tainted by sin because this sin nature was passed down from generation to generation. The reason we struggle with sin and even have this uncontrollable bad habits is that there's a sin nature that was passed down from generation to generation. So now we have it. Now, if you have children in the future, they will be born with this uncontrollable bad habit because it's something that will be passed down to them. That's just how it is. Born with sin. So you can't get mad when you find people who are not Christians. They're supposed to sin. They have a sin nature that was passed down to them and they love every moment of that sin. Don't get mad. They have a sin nature. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes it this way. In Romans 7, 18 to 20. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So Paul is saying, even if I want to do this good thing, this desire, because of this sin nature, I don't have the capacity or even the ability to do it. And when I do the things that I don't want to do, it's not me. It's my sin nature that lives on the inside. So the moment we stop living a surrendered life to Jesus, our sin nature reveals itself. And we all have this sin nature. All of us have this sin nature, and that sin nature wants to sin. It wants to sin. The sin nature wants to sin so badly, and the only reason we don't respond to every sin within us is because we try to surrender our lives to Christ. But the moment we stop trying, it becomes easy to sin. We, we know those moments in our lives. When we try to surrender these things, and every once in a while, when we mess up, we're like, ah, oh, forget it. I'm already doing this. Might as well just go, just go big. You guys might have never have done it before. But I mean, if you guys have done it, you're, 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 like, you're, you're like right on the verge to sin. You're just like, I might as well just go all the way. Anyone ever done that before? Yeah, I see sometimes people are honest, like, hey, if I'm going to get in trouble, I might as well just get in trouble all the way, right? Give me, give me a reason to get in trouble. If you're going to speed, don't go five miles over the speed limit, right? <laughs> hey, I'm not giving you a license to sin, all right? Or to, to, to speed. <laughs> but, but through faith in Jesus, we can overcome the inclination towards sin 
and find strength to live according to God's divine will. Now, we're going to go into Hosea, and Alexa is going to read our passage for today. I'm going to invite you guys to stand and follow along as she read Hosea chapter 1. Hosea chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak to Ho by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, this, the daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to him, Call him Jezreel, for in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. It shall come to pass in that day that I will, bring, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bore a daughter. Then God said to him, Call her name Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah, will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by, nor by sword or battle, by horses or horsemen. Now when she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she conceived and bore a son. Then God said, Call his name Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. Yet the number of children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. There it shall be said to them, You are sons of the living God. Then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head, and they shall come out out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Lord, we just thank you for your word. I pray, God, as we continue to go deeper, that you will reveal your truth to us. We just love you and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Has everyone ever read that story before? Very interesting story. Now, Hosea, also known as Hosea, means salvation. Now, during the English uh, translation of the Bible from Hebrew, the name Hosea was translated Hosea, to better reflect the pronunciation of this prophet. They want to make a distinction. So rather than saying Hosea, they said Hosea, to make this distinction between that. But Numbers 13 and verse 16 tells us that this Hebrew name is identical to Joshua. There are all the passages as well. So if you read Numbers 13 16, you'll see it. But picture a nation in turmoil because uh, political chaos is ripping the country apart. Hosea is introduced at this moment in history as a prophet chosen by God to navigate the cultural landscape. Israel had fallen into idolatry, and it's mirroring the challenges that we often face in our personal lives. Hosea is a prophet in the northern kingdom where they had six kings in 30 years, but four of those kings were assassinated by their successors. So you want to be a king? Just kill the other king. Problem solved. That's what they did. Uh, the structure of Israel's society was really falling apart. And while it was challenging to be a prophet of God during that season, 
Hosea decided to preach against the sinners. He warned them that life won't get easier if they didn't repent. He was preaching what's similar to the turn or burn sermons. You guys know what that is? Turn or burn sermons? It's one of those sermons that says, get right or you're going to go to hell. Pretty much. Like, you got to get saved, go to heaven. If you don't serve and go to heaven, you're going to go to hell. That was Hosea's sermon, literally. And so his sermons were accurate, uh, but they were more about scaring people into heaven. And so people didn't like Hosea's sermon and his preaching style, so his audience was nearly non-existent. People were like, I don't want to hear that. You're so harsh. Forget it. And so, uh, like any preacher, you know, we seek God for answers when we're, and ministry gets difficult. We're like, okay, God, what's going on? I thought you called me to preach, but people are not showing up. And so he prayed, and God says, I'm going to have you do something strange. This is what the text says. God said, I have the perfect wife for you. Her name is Gomer, and she's one of the most beautiful women in Israel. I don't know who Hosea was dating before, but clearly he leveled up, right? The most beautiful woman in Israel. But, that, but then God said, uh, there's a little disclaimer to this marriage. This beautiful woman, Gomer, with untapped potential, will be unfaithful to you. At some point in your marriage, she will eventually leave to become a prostitute. But I want you to marry her anyway. Now, if this was a movie, I can imagine all the men saying, don't do it, run, Hosea, run. I don't know anyone who would be willing to marry a person knowing that person will become unfaithful during the marriage. I mean, he knows ahead of time. See, God often uh, does things that we can't explain or understand. Now, despite this weird command by God, Hosea marries Gomer. Life was great at first, but then God asked Hosea to do another strange thing. Hosea and Gomer had a son, and God said, I want you to name him Jezreel. Uh, Jezreel means cast away. So Jezreel became a living reminder from God that the Israelites would be cast away if they didn't recognize and turn from their sinful actions. See, I told you about having sermon illustration. There goes the first one. Then Hosea and Gomer had a daughter. God said, name her Lorehema. Lorehema means not pitied. So she became a living reminder that God would no longer have pity on the Israelites if they continued to live in sin. See, notice those sermon illustrations going on? Then God gave, then God, then God gave another strange you know, assignment. Gomer gave birth to another boy, and God said, let's call him Loamai. Loamai means not my people. So whenever people saw him coming, God was saying, you are not my people, and I will not be your God if you don't repent. 
Just think about it. Hosea waited all his life to get married. God gave him a beautiful woman who became a prostitute. And then three children he was embarrassed to take around in the city. So, because in Hosea's culture, it was customary to teach using symbols. So God used Hosea and his family as a living object lesson for Israel. Hosea's family started to experience more challenges. Uh, Gomer began having affairs after affairs. She's literally selling her body in the streets. Hosea is preaching about repentance, but his home is a mess. See, that's an internal struggle that resonates with me because I have family members who are not Christians. And yet here I am right now encouraging others to repent and surrender their lives to Christ. So his story resonates. I can imagine Jose hearing the people in the streets, you can't preach to me about God until you get your house in order. Maybe someone else said, fix your marriage or leave me alone. Imagine what life might have been for the children. They were, you know, witnessing this strange behavior by their mother. They're going to school and trying to play with friends, but their very existence is a reminder that their mom is unfaithful. And not just their mom, but all of Israel. I mean, it's one thing to be a reminder in the city of Berkeley than if you're a reminder for the entire state of California. I mean, think about that. That was Hosea's children. I can only imagine one day Hosea came home found a note from Gomer. It probably says something like, you know I love you. I love our kids. I love that you love me. But I've decided to leave and seek the happiness that I deserve. I'm leaving you for someone else, and I'm leaving you with the children. But how much different is our relationship with God. Professing that we love God while trying to please the desires of our flesh. Because depending on the day, God has to wait until we satisfy our fleshly desires. And maybe we'll come back to him after we're done. Call Hosea crazy, but he never stopped loving Gomer. Called God crazy, but he never stopped loving the people of Israel, even after they left him to worship other gods. God never stops loving us, even when we fail to love and serve him like we should. Even when we're unfaithful, God never stops loving us. When dealing with internal turmoil, it's easy for us to stop doing ministry. I can't serve in ministry right now. I, I can't show up to Sunday services right now. There's too much going on in my life right now. How can I rightly look in someone's eyes and tell them to surrender their lives to Christ 
without feeling like a hypocrite. Because think about my wife. But understand that Hosea never stopped preaching about repentance. But there was a new way in which he preached. See, before he got married, he preached in a way that seemed uncompassionate. Because now that sin is, affects him personally, it changed. So it's easy for us to see someone living in sin, and because their lifestyle seems so much less than ours, it's less than our standards, instead of sharing the love of Christ, we cast judgment. We think we've been empowered to make others feel ashamed because of their sin. That's what Hosea was doing. Until sin reached his home, what do you do when the lifestyle that you reject makes its way into your home? See, serve God or you're going to hell. That was his sermon. And yes, it's true. But where is the humanity to love people to the point where your apologetics is meaningless because you can't fix your home? That's what he was dealing with. Now, Hosea is preaching with tears and a sense of compassion because there's no longer perfection in his home. See, when everyone in your home is a Christian or when you live by yourself, the only standards people get to measure is yours. When you live by yourself and you're reading the word and you're going to church, all they see is you living by yourself and they're saying, oh, I wish I could be like you. I want to be like you, how you get up and you read your word and you pray and you spend three hours each day going through chapters. I want to be like you because you're living by yourself until you're in a home when the people you love turn away from Christ. Now it's a little bit different because are you still the same role model? That was Hosea's story. And rather than casting judgment and condemnation, Hosea began to speak of a day when the people of Israel would return to the one who loved them, God. But I'm sure he's hoping that one day his wife would return to the people who love her, him and his children. Hosea realized that if his love for Gomer could exist despite her betrayal to their marriage vows, then God might still love his people despite their sinfulness. And that's something that we often miss. Can God love a sinner who we consider to be too far in sin? Yes, he can. It took this tragedy in his life, this sin tragedy in his life, for him to realize that, wait a minute, the people that I'm trying to reach is also in my home. I remember... Uh, my wife and I were talking to our son, and we, we, we never tell him to get baptized or anything because we believe baptism is your public declaration about your decision within Christ. We, we don't force him to, to get baptized because we want them to make that decision to say, I want to serve God for myself. And so last year, uh, when our, our youngest son was was in, was in Florida, he FaceTimed us and said, hey, guess what? I'm getting baptized. 
And, and we're watching. If you know my wife, she's, <laughs> she's crying watching him get baptized. You know, Because we realized that was his decision. He didn't get baptized because we're pastors. He didn't get baptized because we put pressure on him to say, you have to get baptized, come on. He made that decision. So Hosea realized that if God can love Israel, then sure enough, my wife's going to come back someday. Hosea sees something in his ministry he had never seen before. And it's the same thing that I want you to see as you share Christ's love with others. Here's what he noticed. Sin is not just a transgression of God's righteousness. Sin is a rejection of God's love. So when we share the good news of the gospel, we focus so much on judging someone's sin that we forget the love that's being extended and the love that they're rejecting. So often we say, come on, serve God. Do you want to, don't, don't, your sin is so bad. And we forget to share this love that God is extending to them. Sin is a rejection of God's love. Hosea loves Gomer. They had some great moments. They had three children together, which should have been enough to keep the family together. And yet Gomer didn't think that was enough to make her happy. What happens when coming to Sunday services and connect groups and large groups are not enough to keep someone madly in love with Jesus? Because that's what we tell them. Here are all the things that we have as a church. We have a great men's ministry. Worship is great. Come to these things. And six months later, when these things aren't enough to make people happy, they want more things. Before you know it, you're saying, Pastor Garfield, can we launch these other ministries? You're burnt out trying to create another thing to make someone happy because we introduced uh, programs or I should say, introduce Jesus as a byproduct of the programs. So rather than prioritizing the love that Jesus offers, we say, come to these things that we can give to you. As a church, we provide opportunities for you to serve. Just like today, we say, hey, get involved and serve God with your gifts. But my primary role is to help people draw closer to God. There's no guarantee that our programs will be enough to make people happy. And the last thing you want as a church is offering programs without opportunities for spiritual transformation. But if the church can get you to fall in love with Jesus, we've done our job. If you really fall in love with Jesus, we don't have to tell you where to serve. You want to serve. Because you understand that it's a privilege to serve God's kingdom. So even today, what we want is that as you're serving, you're serving because you love Jesus so much and you realize how much your gift can be a blessing to the body of Christ. We don't want people coming because there's a need and then you stop six months later. But if you fall in love with Jesus, you realize it's not a burden to serve. God's love is limitless. The more you draw closer to Jesus, the more you realize you haven't tapped the surface of his unfailing love. 
based on Hosea's personal life, he didn't change what he preached. He still believed in the importance of repentance, but he changed how he preached. He started to preach about the love God had for sinners instead of the judgment that God has upon sinners. He wanted them to see God's love. Now look at how Hosea's words changed. This is what God says in Hosea 11, 8 to 9. How can I give up, give up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I set you like Zeboim? My heart churns within me. My sympathy is stirred. I will not execute fierceness of my anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come with terror. Hosea's response to a domestic tragedy allowed him to see sinners with compassion. One day, uh, Hosea heard that Gomer was to be sold in the slave market. Uh, she was no longer as beautiful as before. Her sinful lifestyle had made her too unattractive to even serve as a prostitute. So we read earlier. And so she was to be sold as a slave. This is the moment where some would say, well, she got what she deserved. She had a good home. She had children and she left. She got what she deserved. Not Hosea. Because do any of us get what we really deserve? When we leave from the safety of God's love and protection, do we really get what we deserve? Hosea went weeping to God and he asked for God's guidance. I can imagine Hosea's friends wondering, how can you love a woman despite her unfaithfulness? But I can imagine God saying, if you love her, show your love in the same way that I show my love to the nation of Israel. So that's what Hosea did. Hosea chapter 3, verses 1 to 2. And the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel, who looked to other gods and loved the raisin cakes of the pagans. So I brought her, I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and one half homers of barley. Hosea went to the marketplace and he watched Gomer brought up and placed on the dock. She was stripped of her clothing. She stood naked before the crowd. There's no more useful potential in this one. That's what they're saying. And I can imagine the bidding starts. Two pieces of silver. Maybe Gomer said, I got three. And someone says five and ten. And he says, how about I give you 15 pieces of silver and a load of barley? Uh, this was equal to more than a year's wages. So that was a high price to pay for a slave, especially a slave that was unattractive. Hosea went to Gomer, clothed her, and he led her away by the hand and took her home. One of the most beautiful verses from the story is in verse 3, Hosea 3, verse 3. And I said to her, 
you shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man, so too will I be toward you. Hosea renewed his marital vows to Gomer. Gomer took a sinful path that led to shame and disgrace. But the grace-filled love of Hosea melted her cold heart. From that moment, Gomer was faithful to Hosea. Hosea paid an enormous amount to ransom his, life, his, his wife from the slave market. And this is what God has done for you and for me. Hosea's story is our story. God loved us from the beginning. But what he offered wasn't enough to keep us faithful in our relationship with him. You were so in love with God when you got saved. But the desires of the world are too much to ignore. Let me party some more. Let me indulge in sin some more. And one day I will surrender to God. But Sunday services aren't enough to keep me grounded in God. And I have enough friends. Don't need any more friends. I have enough friends, so I don't need your small group. I need something more than submitting to a bunch of arbitrary rules. And when we come to the end of ourselves, when we have explored all that the world has to offer and there's nothing left, when we no longer find satisfaction in the world, when we're broken to the point where we've lost our self-worth and lost our identity, God still waits for a moment to rescue us. Matthew 20, verse 28 says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Hosea's story mirrors this sacrificial love, a powerful reminder of God's unwavering commitment to redeem humanity. In moments when we stray entangled in the web of our inadequacies, God's love remains steadfast, waiting patiently for our return. Will you return to God? I invite the worship team to come forward. The narrative of Hosea and Gomer serves as a reminder that even when we become enslaved to our own choices, God enters the metaphorical slave market of our broken world to redeem us. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross becomes the ultimate expression of this unfailing love. Paying a price we could never afford to rescue us from the consequences of our actions. So as we navigate the complexities of our human relationships and grapple with the consequences of our decisions, the story of Hosea causes us to embrace the relentless love of a God who refuses to give up on his creation. You and me. God's love transcends our understanding. His love extends beyond what we deserve and invites us into a journey of reconciliation and restoration. So no matter how far we may have strayed, God's unfailing love remains a lighthouse to guide us home. The worship team is going to sing a song. It's a song that 
holds true to us. Not only does it depict the story of Hosea and Gomer, and Gomer going back, but also depict the story of the Israelites returning to the Father. But maybe that story depicts you. Maybe you have strayed from the love of God. Maybe you were so on fire for God, but sin just removed you from the grasp, and here's an opportunity to return. Maybe you haven't made that decision to serve Jesus, but this is an opportunity for us to return to the Father. So after the worship team sing the song, I'm going to come back and pray for us. But I want you to both sing and reflect on where you are, where your life is, but also what these words mean to us. But I want to pray for all of us here. And it's so true that it doesn't matter how many times you stray, you can keep coming back to the Father. God is waiting for us. So Father, I come to you, Lord God, first asking you um, for the ones who don't have a relationship with you, God, that you will um, allow them to recognize the need for salvation and ask you to come to their hearts. Forgive them of their sins, God. I God, also pray, God, for those who might have strayed and is wondering, will you take them back? Help them to realize, God, that you're just there always waiting, and yet you never stop loving. doesn't matter how many times we fail you, God, you never stop loving us. So help us, God, to, to use this story of, of Jose and Gomer as a, a picture of you just waiting for us, even when we're unfaithful to you, God. But as we come back to you, God, I pray, God, you'll help us to remain faithful to you, just like Gomer, who remained faithful to God. Pray, God, that you continue to move in and through our lives. We just love you and give you praise in Jesus' name.